hello. Welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning's podcast will be preaching in our second sermon in our Joseph series entitled Plan Preparations. We'll be preaching from Genesis 37 verses 12 through 36. Please enjoy. All right. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number 37 this morning. Genesis chapter number 37, and we are our second week into a new series we are doing on the life of Joseph. So we are starting a Sunday morning series on the life of Joseph, and last week uh, the title of our message was, No Money Asked Me, and we feel that a lot of times when we're kids, and our parents put us in the car and say we're going to such and such place and we don't want to go and we kick and we whine and we scream but they don't ask our opinion because they're the parents and we're the kids and we have to do what they say and so that's kind of like joseph's beginning of joseph's life he did all these things all these things happened to him and joseph really didn't get a whole lot of say in his family situation and how he grew up so that's kind of like, but what we saw, though, in that, and like I said last week, we'll see this as an arch through Joseph's life, is that God orchestrates. God orchestrates everything that happens in your life. It happens for a reason. God orchestrated it. And so we're going to, once again, we're going to focus in on that. I'm going to ask you one last time, if you don't mind, if you would stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to read our scripture this morning, and then we'll sit back down. We're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him the more, yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and Thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. The title of the message this morning is Planned Preparations. Planned Preparations. Let's pray. 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit, I pray the power of God on the service this morning. I pray that you'd clear our minds, you'd clear our hearts and thoughts, and I pray that we'd be able to focus in and zero in on what the Word of God is telling us this morning. I pray that you bless our service, help us to see the hand of God in our lives. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, we had our hospital-themed uh, vacation Bible school yesterday, and when you run a vacation Bible school, you have to know how to fill time, because there's a lot of things that, uh, that happen, and uh, you have to, sometimes uh, the schedule gets a little wonky, and it gets a little off, and so when you run a vacation Bible school, some of the, some of the things you have to learn is you have to learn how to fill time. Well, filling time yesterday, it was a hospital theme. I'm trying to fill time. We've got the kids on the front pews of the church. And I asked the kids a question. I said, we're in a hospital theme. How many kids in here, when they grow up, they want to go into the, to the medical field, maybe as a nurse or a doctor? A couple of kids' hands popped up. And then one kid, one, 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 one kid asked, well, what about a veterinarian? I said, yeah, veterinarians count too. A couple more, couple more hands popped up. But, you know, and, you know, that got me to thinking about my situation. Because I felt the calling on my life to be a preacher when I was 13 years old. So from 13 years old on, that's where I kind of I kind of made took steps to get me to that point. Some of you are the same way. Some of you, you knew when you were a child kind of what you wanted to be. And so you kind of took steps like that to be in the field that you want to be in. You kind of took steps to make that happen. Let me tell you something about Joseph's early life. So much of Joseph's early life was God preparing him for what was in his future. So much of it, God was preparing this young man for what was to come. To this morning, we're reading about a 17-year-old boy. Who in here was 17 at one point? <laughs> Most of us, okay? We're reading about a 17-year-old boy. And something that God knew that this 17-year-old boy didn't know was there was a storm brewing. Christian, let me tell you something. There's always a storm brewing in your life. You're either going out, coming out of a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm, but there's always a storm brewing in your life. And let me tell you something about this storm that's going to hit you one day. This storm, when it hits, it's going to feel very, very unfair it's gonna feel unfair and I remember one Sunday morning we was over here in the parsonage and we got the alert on the phone beep, beep, beep. and we said okay something's going on I turned on the weather channel I didn't turn on a local news station I turned on the national weather channel in Atlanta Georgia I turned on the weather channel and the first word I heard on that weather channel was Chesbro Louisiana and you know, when they say chess bro on a national, something's happening. Something is going to happen. They didn't say Tangible Parish. They didn't say Kentwood or Roseland. They said chess bro. And when you hear that on a national, you just get this chill up your spine because you know something's going down. So obviously we canceled church that morning. But we kind of figured, man, maybe the church is the safest place for us to be. 
So we came over to the church. We went back in the fellowship hall. We went into the to the little uh, to the little uh, 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 storage room we have back there. It's cinder blocks on all sides, center of the building. We put the boys under a desk that's in that room. I shoved them up under there, and uh, me and Emily just kind of crouched down. We kind of rode out the storm. We were supposed to be in here preaching and having church, but instead we was back there riding out the tornado. I've been in tornadoes before. I was in a tornado one time in Mississippi. Bless you. I was in a tornado one time in Mississippi, in, uh, North Mississippi, and the tornado came, and it came through, and it, I was a security guard in a warehouse. The warehouse across the street, it picked the warehouse up and chunked it down the street. The only thing you could see was the, the shelves were still standing with all the product on it. Now, thankfully, there was nobody in that warehouse. But right after that storm got done, we were all coming out of our hiding holes and we're looking at the damage and assessing the damage. And somebody come out of the main office and said, here comes another one. And man, you think to yourself, I just survived one. How in the world am I going to survive another? And you go back and you get back in your little room and employees are jumping into the bathrooms because that's the storm shelter. There's no room for me, the security guard. So I go to a janitor closet and I'm standing in the doorway and my whole, the whole time the thought that's going through my head is this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I just survived one. How am I going to survive another? Christian, let me tell you today, the storm coming in your life, it's not going to feel fair. It's not going to feel fair. It's going to feel like an injustice. Now, let me tell you something. There's something that we teach our children, and it's very, re in this day and time, the society that we live in, and it's kind of regrettable that we teach our children this. Something happens, and our child gets in trouble for something he or she shouldn't do. Oh, and when we hear about that, ooh, our feathers get ruffled. We got to call the school. We got to call the other parent. We got to make a sting. We got to go in the office and slam our fist down on the principal's desk and say, what do you mean doing this? My child didn't do anything wrong. That's the real troublemaker over there. You need to go over there and, and, and talk to that troublemaker. And we make, it seem, we, we make it seem to the kids like you should never have to patiently bear an injustice. But that's not real life, is it? That's not realistic. Because let me tell you something. As an adult, sometimes you're going to have to patiently bear an injustice. There's nothing that can be said. There's nothing that can be done. You just got to grin and bear it. You just got to take it. Sometimes you just got to lay back and you just got to take it and you don't have a choice. And so sometimes you got to teach the kids, look, you know, normally I'd say something, but I need to teach you a lesson. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes things happen to you that's an injustice and you can't do anything about it. This past week I had a lady. She left my oil chain shop. She got a mile down the road and her car broke down. She called me. I had to leave my shop. I drove to her car. Ooh, when I got there, she was yelling. Ooh, and she, she called me some colorful names. Man, it was, it was great. It was awesome. And uh, so she's yelling at me, and she's, you know, uh, telling me how much she loves Jesus. Not really. And uh, so, uh, but she's saying that the oil change caused her engine to break down. 
She, she just got oil changed. She left my shop five minutes ago. Well, I go and I look through the, the, uh, the, oil, the oil level's good. The plug and the filter's tight. Everything's good. But you know, the car cranks up and it's shaking. Well, I put in my little computer. It says ignition coil. And like five different ones. And so me and my owner over the phone, we come to the conclusion that she's had some coil packs go out that control her spark plugs. And I try to explain to her the oil change is good. It didn't cause this. The oil change didn't cause this to happen to your car, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter to her. Oh, I, I never had any trouble with my car. I left your shop. This is your fault. And what could I do? I just had to stand there. I just had to take it. And I stayed there up until she said the L word, which is lawyer. When they say lawyer, I'm gone. You know, when they lawyer up, I'm, I got to go. Um, but at that point, I'm like, there's, there's nothing I could do. I just had to stop there. I just had to take it. You know, because sometimes, you know, sometimes you just got to bear an injustice. Maybe it's not your fault, but you just have to, just have to bear it. Let me tell you something. A great man once said, you can make, you can make no mistakes and still lose. That's, that, and that's not weakness, that's life. You know who said that? Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the Enterprise. But anyway, I'm a Trekkie. I am. So anyway, but you know what? I think you'd rather hear from the Word of God. Okay, so let's, let's, read, from the, let's read that in the Word of God. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 says, listen to this. It's about Christ. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. So he's our example. That ye should follow his steps... Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. So all this stuff, all these injustices are being done to him, and he did absolutely nothing wrong. What did he do? But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus is taking all these suffering, all these injustices, all these threatenings, all these railings, all this pain and sorrow that he doesn't deserve. And instead of retribution, instead of revenge, you know what he did? He gave it to God. He gave it to God. Sometimes in life, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And in those situations, don't get down. Don't get discouraged. Give it to God. Let him handle it. He'll handle it a lot better than you and I ever will. But just like Christ, because Joseph is a picture of Christ. Just like Christ, Joseph has to take these injustices even though he's in the right. So I want to see... How Joseph took these injustices. How did he take them? I've got three ways that he took these injustices in his life. Number one, he took these injustices with growing discernment. Growing discernment. Genesis 37 and verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. I want you to remember that much of what we read in the Old Testament is actually a picture of the Christian life. 
And I think right here in Jacob's life, we see a contrast. We see a battling of two natures in Jacob's life. Because what we see here is we see the inner conflict in a Christian believer. We see the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. What's the old illustration? Inside of you are two dogs. There's a, a black dog and a white dog. And whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to win the fight all the time. And that's a little illustration we give kids. But this duality in Jacob, we kind of see Jacob is in the nature and in the flesh. But when he's Israel, he's a prince with God. So we see in Jacob these two, two, you know, flesh versus the spirit things. Now I want you to note that a lot of Joseph's brothers were very wicked. We went through each of his brothers last week and we showed you how wicked they really were. But the thing is, is that they were really raised by the old Jacob that was in the flesh. But Joseph, then he was raised by Israel. Israel raised Joseph, and that's when Joseph was in the spirit, and he was Israel, and he was a prince with God. And you could see a difference in how these kids were raised. Usually, usually our children are products of either raising them in the natural power of the flesh or raising them in the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit. I want to read you a poem real quick. I want you to listen to this poem. I took a piece of clay and idly fashioned it one day. As my fingers pursued it, it moved and yielded at my will. It came of age when the days were past and the piece of clay was hard at last. The form I gave it, it still bore, but I could change it no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded it with power and art, a young child soft and yielding heart. I came when years were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress wore, and I could change him no more. Think about your children. When they're young, they're moldable, they're pliable. When they get older, it's up to them. You can't change them. Joseph was certainly like a piece of clay. When he was at this age, he was like a piece of clay. And one day he would, he would wind up in the house of Pharaoh. But before that, he had to take a spin on the potter's wheel. And it was at this point in Joseph's life when he was young and coming up that he's spinning on the potter's wheel. And Joseph needed great discernment. Why? Because Joseph is going to be pressured to conform. Joseph is going to be pressured to conceal. The Bible says he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Those were Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. These are, these, are, these, are, these are sons by the handmaidens of both his first and second wives. Let me tell you something about these four children that Joseph was with. They were wicked and they were vile. And the pressure that Joseph felt to conform to them was very, very real. You know what Joseph probably wanted? You know what Joseph probably wanted more than anything else? If Joseph wanted to fit in, he wasn't like, I mean, he's like the rest of us. You know, um, the, he was the kid that, was, that nobody liked, that everybody always picked on. And he sees other kids doing something they shouldn't do. And maybe he thinks, you know, maybe 
If I do what they're doing, my life will be a lot easier. Maybe if I do what they're doing, they're not going to pick on me anymore. Maybe if I do what they're doing, they'll accept me. And so much of peer pressure is just wanting to fit in. You know, when you, when you bow to peer pressure, it, it's, sometimes you don't even want to do the thing that you're being pressured to do. All you really want to do is fit in. And that's what Joseph is feeling right now. He's feeling pressured to fit in. But Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The Bible says it's not worth fitting in. You know, there was a good reason why Joseph is being trained here as a teenager not to conceal, not to give in, not to conform. Because if you know anything about Joseph's life, you know one day he will be tempted greater than he'll ever be tempted in his entire life. It will be an unprecedented temptation for Joseph. And he needs to learn right now when he's a teenager not to give in and not to conform. I'm going to read Proverbs later discusses exactly what is going to happen to Joseph in Potiphar's house. I'm going to read these verses for you. It's, it's a little long scripture, but I want you to listen to it as I read it. Proverbs 7. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold the simple ones I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with an attire of a harlot, subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet, uh, her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth wait at every corner. This sounds a lot like something Joseph's going to face. And she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me, this day I have paid my vows. Isn't it funny how this woman is trying to tempt this young man, and she brings religion into it. She brings religion into it. Oh, I pray, I go to church, I read my Bible too. Isn't that interesting? Therefore came I to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face. I have joined thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrhs, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. And knoweth not that it was for his own life. Do you know why a dart struck through his liver? Because the good man came home and killed him. This is something that Joseph is going to face. And so Joseph is saying no to his wicked brothers. It's preparation for a far greater temptation that he will face in his 
future. Let me tell you something about temptation. Years, you will face temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's don't feel bad because you're tempted. It's, it's only a sin when you yield to temptation. Because when you are tempted, the Bible says that he will give you an escape. Every temptation that comes in your life, God gives you an escape. However, there's very little doubt in my mind that Joseph didn't hear from his brother's threats. Could you imagine it? Could you hear them right now? I'm sure when we were kids, we had the same thing with older kids happen to us. Could you see the older brothers coming up to Joseph and they're wicked and they're evil and they're doing things in front of Joseph they shouldn't do. And they look over to Joseph and they point their finger at Joseph and say, anything to dad, I'm going to get you. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make your life miserable. I'm going to hurt you. If you say anything to dad, I'm going to punish you. So once again, Joseph has a choice to make. He says to himself, you know what? I'm not going to do the thing that they, they're doing. I'm not going to do that. But you know what at least I can do? I can at least not say anything. I can at least keep my mouth shut and I can run about my business. I cannot be a tattletale. And, uh, you know, I, I'm at least going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to look the other way. And even if I'm not doing what they're doing, if I look the other way, at least they'll accept me. And you know what is regrettable in our society today? today? We have a very skewed vision of loyalty very skewed vision of loyalty it, it's a mistaken sense of honor that keeps us from giving information when there's wrongdoing involved it's the old adage we hear you you've heard this before snitches get stitches snitches get stitches man if you say something you tell on me man you're gonna get you're gonna get what's coming to you but you know what's funny? As I'm studying this, and I can think back to why I've heard preachers preach on it before, and I'm reading all these commentaries, and you know what most of these commentaries say? They say that Joseph was a talebearer. That's what they say. You read these commentaries, and they say that Joseph was a talebearer. Now, what is a talebearer? A talebearer is constantly condemned in Scripture, okay? We kind of think it of being a tattletale. Uh, Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a talebearer are his wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. So what is that word talebearer? What does it actually mean? By the way, you won't find the word talebearer in Genesis 37. They import that in there. But what does the word talebearer actually mean? It actually means to be a whisperer, a backbiter and a murmurer, okay? And this is completely different than somebody who is conveying factual information to someone who can do something about it in order to help someone. That is not a talebearer. It's not. And Joseph 
was not a talebearer in this situation. And I'm tired of preachers preaching and I'm tired of commentators writing that Joseph got what was coming to him because Joseph was a bratty, spoiled, bratty little boy who was full of pride, who constantly told on his brothers and he wore his coat of many colors and he paraded around in front of them and said, oh, I am the favorite. Look at my coat of many colors. And he was this bratty, boastful, prideful little boy. I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see it. And I can prove to you that Joseph was not a talebearer here. I can prove it to you with the Bible. Okay? Let me ask you this question. If Joseph would have not told on his brothers, would the strife have stopped? No. You take Joseph out of the equation, the exact same thing that they were doing, nothing would have changed. Okay? The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 20, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. So you take Joseph out of the equation, the strife would have continued. So that means Joseph was not a whisperer. Joseph was not a backbiter. Joseph was not a murmurer. The strife would have continued anyway. You take Joseph out of the situation, the strife would have continued. Okay, that is the test of a talebearer. You know what Joseph was? Joseph was actually very brave. One day, Christian, you're going to want to help somebody. And you're going to have an opportunity to say something. Maybe somebody is doing something that's hurting themselves. They're hurting their eternity. They're, they're hurting their spiritualness. They're hurting themselves. And one day, you're going to be given an opportunity to speak up and say something to that person. But your flesh is going to be like, if you say something, they're not going to like you anymore. If you say something, you're going to hurt your relationship with this person you care about. So you know what? Instead of saying anything, I'm just going to look the other way. I'm going to hold my peace and keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to hurt that relationship. And you know what you're doing there? You're showing that you care for yourself more than you care about that person. Joseph was actually, he wasn't a tattletale, he was actually very brave. Joseph said in himself, look, I know that I know that if I say something, I know my life is going to be miserable. I know they're going to punish me. I know they're going to hurt me. I know they're going to come after me. But quiet. I'm going to say something to my father because my father can change them. My father can help them. He has the authority to reach down and help them in their lives and set them on this right path. I don't care if they don't like me. I love them too much to keep quiet. One day that I, that's going to happen in your life one day. That's going to happen. But you know what? Joseph faced incredible pressure to conform. Joseph faced incredible pressure to conceal. And that is why, yet in all this, he was learning discernment. You know why we need discernment? Because the world wants us to conform. 
The world wants us to conceal sin. The world wants us to conceal darkness. It doesn't want to be out in the light. The world wants us to conform. That's what they pump every day through that TV in your house. They want to conform you. That's why Nickelodeon and Disney Channel, while they pump those new shows with those new characters into your house, it's because they want to conform your children. And while they pump that stuff on the news into your house, because they want to conform you and they put those ads on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram because they want you. You can't let them conform you. You can't let them mold you. Uh, Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you conceal darkness, you're being conformed to this world. And Joseph said, I am not going to let the evil of this world shape me. The Bible shapes me. The potter shapes me. The great physician shapes me. God, my father, shapes me. And the world isn't going to do it. That is why Joseph needed discernment. Number two, how did he handle his injustices? With gracious dress. Gracious dress. Genesis 37.3 Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because the son of, he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. You know, this coat of many colors is significant. It was more than just a cool coat. You know what? I wonder... I wonder if anybody my age remembers starter jackets. Does anybody remember starter jackets? Man, you, man you, they was the coolest thing back when I was in middle school. Man, you come in there, they were pullover jackets, okay? They weren't zip up. They were pullover jackets, and you had the Saints, and you had the Cowboys, and there were NFL teams all over them. Well, it was the big thing when I was in middle school. And there was this one, was one kid, his name was Leo. Leo, every week, he would come in in a different starter jacket. One week, it was the Cowboys. The next week, it was the Saints. And the next week, it was the 49ers. And every week, he'd wear a different one. And one day, we went up to him. And it's like, Leo, how in the world are you affording all these starter jackets? They weren't cheap. And then he said, well, what happens is, is my older brother takes them back to Walmart and exchanges them for a new one. He says they're tour or something and just exchanges them for a new one. And I thought to myself, I could never get away with that. How in the world are you, how in the world, he, he kept getting away with that, I'll never know. It's beyond me. Uh, but you know what, Joseph's coat, it was significant. It kind of showed his princely standing. It was showed his position of favor. But you know what else the coat showed? The coat of many colors. You know what it said to all the other brethren? Joseph's getting the birthright. That's what it said. And that's why they hated him. That's why they resented him. Because that coat said to his brothers, I'm getting the birthright. And that's why they, they you know, this was a coat. It extended all the way to the wrists and all the way to the ankles. This was not a working man's coat. No, this was a coat of privilege. And this was a coat of status. You know why this is significant for me and you? Because we can become, by faith in Jesus Christ, a child of God with position and status.
Galatians 3.26 For ye all are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I become a child of God and I have that status and I have that favor from God. But remember, Joseph was also a picture of Christ. So Joseph is a beautiful picture of Christ because Christ was also God's favored son. Genesis 3.37.3 May Israel love Joseph more than all his other children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. God favors Jesus above all else. That's why he says to pray in his name. God didn't say don't pray in God's name. God said I want you to pray in Jesus' name because that's how much I love my son. You know, God the Father, he doesn't speak very often from heaven. Usually when he speaks, he sends an angel to speak for him. A lot of times we see, especially in the Old Testament, he'll send Jesus himself to speak for him. God the Father rarely speaks to heaven, speaks from heaven. But two times that he did, it was about Jesus. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 17, 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And as God the Father, he loves his Son. And that Son, he loves me and you. And that's why he died for me and you. And you know what? And one day, one day, I'm going to be given a new coat. One day I'm going to be given a new robe. Just as Joseph was given a new robe of many colors, our picture will be Christ's righteousness. Because one day I'm going to be clothed in white. Revelation 19, 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine living, white and clean. We will be washed and we will be made clean by the blood of the Lamb. You know what? You know what happens when white light hits a prism? It goes into every color of the rainbow. You know, Joseph had a coat of many colors, but a robe of white, it contains all the colors. Isn't that interesting? You know what's also interesting is we're not going to have armor. The Bible says at the end of the day, at the end when Jesus makes his return and we come back with him on white horses, we're going to be given robes of white. It's not going to be armor. Why? Because our fighting days are over. Our fighting days are over. When we come back with him on that white horse, no more fights to be fought. Our general will be there, and he's the one that will tread the winepress of God's wrath with his tongue. Fighting for us will be over. We will also one day have that robe of white. And then number three, glorious dreams. Glorious dreams. Uh, Genesis 37, 5 through 11. I'm not going to read it, but this, you know, we, we read earlier, we read earlier about the dreams that he had. And, you know, I kind of stepped on my points a little bit. So a lot of this earlier, cause I got into it. And so a lot of this is going to be kind of repetitive and I apologize for that. But so many pre, like I said before, so many preachers and commentators say that, say that, that Joseph 
was bratty and he was spoiled and he should have never told his brothers those dreams. Was he crazy? Was he dumb? Was he cocky? Did he not know that telling his brothers about these dreams was going to make them mad? And so it had to have been that, that he was just a boastful, bratty little child. And so many commentators and preachers say that Joseph got what was coming to him. He was a bratty, boastful, little prideful child that shoved things in their face. And that's why he got what he got. But you know the only reason why they say this? Is they assume that these dreams that Joseph had were, were Joseph's personal delusions of grandeur. Oh, he's, you know, this is an assumption that the assumption that he was bratty and boastful and prideful is just this assumption that it's just that it was an assumption. It's not backed up in the text. It's not. These dreams that Joseph had, they weren't delusions. They were revelations from God. One of the dreams said that his brothers were sheaves and they would bow down to him. Do you know why that's interesting? Because they were sheaves of wheat. Why did the brothers go to Egypt? Because they were out of food. Okay. The other one, the other dream was he saw the moon and the stars and the sun bow down to him. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of Israel. That's a picture of the family of Israel. Revelation 12, 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. That's Israel. Okay, so this is a picture of Israel. And I get so sick of hearing preachers say that this was Joseph's fault and he brought it on himself. Moses, is, who wrote this, is doing everything to get our attention. Everything but waving his arms and saying it wasn't Joseph's fault. You know what the problem was in this situation? You know why? Because it was Joseph's brothers who, who, and their responses to circumstances they didn't like. Let me read you this. Verse 4, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Verse 5, they hated him the more. Verse 8, they hated him even more. Verse 11, his brothers envied him. Verse 18, so they conspired against him to kill him. The problem was not with Joseph. It was with Joseph's brothers. And if you say that he was just spoiled and bratty, you're importing an assumption that the text doesn't support. God gave Joseph two dreams that were very similar. And then him telling those dreams to his brothers taught him how to interpret those dreams. Interesting. I think that gift will be very handy later on in Joseph's life. I think it will. God knew that much trouble lay before Joseph. So God gave Joseph a little taste, a little taste of what was to come. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, that give you an expected end. You mean to tell me the Lord doesn't sit around and think up ways to make me miserable? No, no. What he does to you, he does for a reason. There is a plan. But the thing is, you can't see the plan right now. Second, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. I can't see the big picture right now. But you know what? I don't need to see the big picture. Why? Because I live by faith and not by sight. If I could see the picture, 
It wouldn't be faith anymore, would it? Romans 8, 18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When you hear a story about someone who fought cancer, beat cancer, and then the cancer comes back, that's suffering. But then you read in that book, and it says that no amount of suffering you can suffer here can even come close to the glory that you're going to experience one day. And bless God, as Christians, we need to remember that fact. Christian, I don't know what's going on in your life. You could be suffering right now and nobody knows it. But let me tell you something. The glory that's going to come one day is so much far greater than the suffering you're feeling now. And you have to remember that and you have to have faith in it. You can't see it, but you can believe it. And again, consider Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ had to suffer the shame of the cross before he could get his glorification. And Joseph, before Joseph could experience throne room glory, he needed prison grace. So let's go through these three things that Joseph learned. Joseph was learning to, dis to discern. He would need that because when he got to Egypt... He would be pressured to conform. He would be pressured to conceal potential wrongdoing. So he needed to learn discernment. Number two, he was willing to be different. Joseph did not see his position as a favored son as a curse. Joseph saw it as a blessing. And then number three, he was ready to dream. And those dreams would sustain him through difficult and challenging times. And all these things were planned preparations from the hand of a knowing God. Christian, if you're going to have struggles in your life and you're going to have challenges in your life, and if you think of those struggles and challenges as anything more than his planned preparations for your life, you're going to grow bitter and you're going to grow frustrated with your circumstances. And you're going to fail to dream. Let me ask you one last question. Do you have a dream today? What's your dream? Is your dream a better life? Is your dream a better family? Is your dream a better marriage? Is your dream a closer relationship with God? Whatever your dream is, keep dreaming. Keep praying. Keep living in eager anticipation of the fulfillment of that prayer. Your day, like Joseph's, 